really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Hey, welcome back to the podcast. It is week six or seven or 27 of a stay-at-home order, something like that. And I was thinking about in 2012, my family took a vacation. And we don't, we don't really take vacations. We, uh, this is my husband and I and and our two kids, just because of the way our life has been structured, you know, I'm a pastor, he has his own business. It's just, it's just hard to take vacations. So usually we would take like a four day weekend, but my dad had gotten this timeshare thing. So he kept saying, you know, you can get a, uh, I can get you a fully furnished condo for a week. And then all you have to do is get yourself there, pay for food, souvenirs, whatever you want to do on your vacation. And so we had, um, this opportunity to go to Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And my sister and her husband live there in Carson, well, not in Tahoe, but they live in Carson City, which is just outside of Tahoe. And so we thought, hey, this would be dual purpose. We'll see my sister and her family, and then we'll get to see the sights. And so uh, it took a week to go out, flew out there. And there's really two things we wanted to do. We wanted to see the ocean. And we wanted to see Yosemite National Park. Okay, now I know the ocean is in California, but for those of you who aren't geographically astute, uh, Lake Tahoe is uh, sits on the border of Nevada and California. So half of it is in Nevada, which is the side that we stayed on, and the other half is in California. And while we were there... There, there's like this little, there's this little town, whatever, tourist trap, we want to call it. And so we went into town and we got groceries and stuff to stock up the condo. And, and they had all these souvenir shops. I wanted to get a shirt or some kind of a souvenir that said Lake Tahoe, Nevada. But everything that we found said Lake Tahoe, California. We, we, we drove back and forth to town several, several days in a row. And I think it was about the third or fourth day we realized that the, that the town sat right on the border. And so half of the town was in California and half of the, or the shops, the little shops that we were uh, wandering through. And, and, then, and then the other half of the shops were on the Nevada side. And we literally drove past the welcome to California sign. I don't know how many times, 10, 12 uh, multiple times, but we kept missing it until finally one of us saw the sign and we said, oh, the reason we can't find any shirts that say Nevada on them is because we're shopping on the California side of the of the shopping center. So anyway, we finally figured that out, but we kept missing this sign, missing this sign that was telling us we were shopping on the wrong side of the plaza if we wanted to get 
Nevada shirts. And as, as we've been going through this season in the stay-at-home order, I keep thinking about that story and asking myself, what is the sign that we're missing? What is, what is the sign that we're missing right now? Because I, I, I keep hearing people, people are having the same conversations over and over, the same arguments um, about what's happening, uh, about what we should do, about what we shouldn't do. And I, and I keep thinking we are missing the bigger picture. We are missing the bigger sign. Uh, on that same trip, we, we did drive to California and we swam in the ocean. We took one day and we drove to Yosemite National Park. So we drove there and we packed lunch, spent, I don't know, eight, nine hours there exploring, uh, walking, climbing, hiking, uh, climbing up on the top of rocks as high as we could go, went down into a little valley area. Uh, took all kinds of pictures. I felt like Ansel Adam. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Ansel Adam, which is probably all of you who aren't artists, you'll have to Google him. But just spent this whole day exploring, uh, sat on a rock and ate our picnic lunch, and finally decided to drive back towards the condo because it was, um, we were like two and a half hours away. And as we were driving back, I thought, whoa, we have, we just covered so much ground. We saw so many things that day. And I pulled out the map. So my husband's driving and I have this huge paper map that they had given us uh, when you come into the Welcome Center area at Yosemite Park. And I had this all unfolded, blocking half of the window. And and I'm looking at, okay, where was it that we drove in trying to find the part of the map that we had explored. And for those of you who still remember paper maps, uh, there's, there's always a little legend down there that tells you, you know, usually there's the scale is like one inch equals whatever, how many miles or, or whatever it is. And so I'm looking at the scale, the little legend there and I'm and at the map and seeing where we explored. And I realized that we had seen barely a fraction of Yosemite National Park. I mean, we had spent the entire day there and maybe saw one one thousandth of the park. That that might even be more. Maybe it was one one hundredth thousandth, hundred thousandth of the park. Just a small little speck on the map that we had explored and all of this other stuff was left unexplored. And I said, we could have camped there for an entire week and hiked all over and still would not have even seen or touched Yosemite National Park. It was, it's just massive. It, it's massive. The trees and the, and the heights at one point we were at 10,000 feet above sea level. And there were plenty of, uh, parts um, of of that area, mountains region that was just even higher than that, uh, that went into the depths of that. And again, as I was thinking this week, um, this week I really I hit a big wall 
just very discouraged as as a pastor. And it was thinking about that story and how profound it was when I when I looked at that map and saw how little we had actually seen in that in this in that amount of time. You know, we we spent that whole day there and we had barely seen any of Yosemite National Park. It made me think of what's happening right now with this stay-at-home order and all of the expectations that are placed on us as pastors and as the church. And it feels like we are trying to cover all of Yosemite National Park. Um, We are trying to do everything that we had done before. And the problem was the way that we did church before the stay-at-home order, um, we had a lot more control over things. And I think if we were honest, most of us would say we could pretty much pull off what we re- what we did without the Spirit. We could pretty much pull off anything without Jesus. Um, we, we didn't have to rely on God for a whole lot here in the West. You know, you polish your message. You you could you know you, you can even get away with YouTube videos for worship. Um, you pretty much pull it off without having to be dependent on God in this. And now that now that we're in this thing, I don't, I don't know what we're calling it. Um, we, we need to come up. I think maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we just we need to we need to take a week to just figure out what to call this thing. I guess that's what the sociologists are for. Uh, but we have we have no control. We have no no control over what we're doing as far as ministry goes. We're, we're limited by how close we can get to people. We're limited by our resources, time, space, money. And, and we're trying to measure what we're doing at, and measure how successful this is and measure the effectiveness of ministry and what we're doing. And it's not possible. And we're becoming, I'm becoming frustrated. And I, I know I'm not alone because I've heard plenty of other pastors who are, are feeling the same pressure. That the expectations of us, the expectations that have been placed on us are unrealistic. It's like trying to explore all of Yosemite National Park in 24 hours. We can't do it. And I thought about that. It also made me think of this, um, and I haven't seen this movie in years, but years ago this movie put out called Faith Like Potatoes, and it's based on a true story about uh, a man named Angus Buchan in South Africa who became a preacher, evangelist, kind of the, I don't know, Billy Graham, if you will, of South Africa. And the movie's called Faith Like Potatoes. And and then there's a line in this movie where he says, you know, potatoes, growing potatoes, it's not like growing corn or wheat. You you can't see the progress. You can't see what's happening. You you can't tell, oh, this is going to be a good crop or this is going to be not going to be such a good crop. And uh, you, you have no indication because everything's growing underground. And so you don't know 
how many potatoes do you have? Are they big potatoes? Are they little potatoes? Um, are they going to have, um, are they going to be deformed? <laughs> you know, you have no idea. There, there's vines that are growing on the top of the ground, but the vines really don't tell you anything about what's happening underneath. And this, what's happening right now, the stay-at-home order and doing ministry is so much like that. We don't know what's really happening. We can't, we can't track. We can track what we're doing. Oh, we prayed this many hours. We read these many chapters of the scriptures. We called these many people. Um, we, we created this many YouTube videos and Facebook live posts and um, wrote so many blog posts on our website. And we can count all that stuff, but we really don't know what God is doing in the hearts of the people. And I don't think we will know for a long time. And that's scary because we could get done, we could get down to the end of this. We could get six months, 12 months, 18 months out and realize that everything that we have done was fruitless. That everything that we're doing right now didn't make a difference for the kingdom or in the hearts and the lives of people. We didn't make any disciples. We didn't, um, we didn't, nobody, nobody came to faith in Christ. We could get 18 months out and realize all the stuff we were doing didn't matter. Or we could get 18 months out and we could find out, yeah, all of our effort and all of our dependence on God produced fruit. But the reality is we don't know. We don't know if what we're doing is the right thing. You know, there's been a way to do things in different seasons and different eras. What worked in the first century, something else worked in the fifth century, something else else worked in the 15th century, what worked in the 20th century, not necessarily working in the 21st century. And now we're in a season that even after this is over, what we have been doing is not going to work. And everything that we experiment with is just that. It's experimenting. And we don't know. Sometimes experimenting is great. It's exciting. Um, oh, we get to try some new things. Let's see what happens here. And let's see what happens there. And it's exciting when it it's okay if this fails because you got this over here as a backup. It's okay if this doesn't work out okay because you still have this other thing going on it's a whole another thing when you're completely starting from scratch and I think there's a part of me that says some of this it seems pointless it seems pointless to count and track all of the stuff that we're doing and maybe I'm wrong uh, I mean I know when you do when you do an experiment that you write down all of the, you know, you have your whatever, here's your control and here's your other thing. And this is what seems to be working. And this is what doesn't seem to be working. But I don't think we can use the same standards to measure that we have used. I was reading this morning in John's gospel, chapter four. And I'm just, I've just been reading through John's gospel this week. It's John's gospel is my favorite gospel. It's also my favorite book of the Bible. 
I got to chapter four, and so I was reading through the story of the woman at the well. And at the at the end of that story, she leaves the well. She goes into Sychar and begins to tell people, you know, hey, I met a man. Come see this man who has told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? So in the meantime, the disciples come back and they say, hey, we found we got some food for you. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about, which I thought to myself, that's a really strange comeback. You know, he knew that they went to get food and he, when they brought the food back and they're like, hey, we're back with food. Like you think he would just be like, hey, thanks, you know, let's sit down here and eat or whatever. And he's like, no, I have food that you know nothing about. Like what? Where is that even coming from? It doesn't even make sense. It's almost like this encounter he had with this woman um, left him, I don't know, perplexed, deep in thought, just in this in this place of, man, food is trivial. We just have bigger things. We have bigger things that we got to deal with that I just can't think about food right now, which, you know. I've been there. There have been times in my life where I'm like, I just can't think about food right now. Usually I'm like, usually when I'm frustrated, I'm like, no, give me all the chocolate chip cookies. But, you know, I've also been in places where I've been like, no, I just can't think about food right now. I have this other stuff I need to get done. And Jesus says, I have food that you don't know anything about. And they're like, what in the world is he talking about? Finally, he says, look, uh, I'm fed by doing the will of the one who sent me. Uh, and completing his work. Uh, and then he says, open your eyes and notice that the fields are already ripe for harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. Open your eyes and notice that the fields are, are already ripe for harvest. Those who harvest are receiving their pay and they are gathering fruit for eternal life so that those who sow and those who harvest can celebrate together. This is a true saying that one sows and another harvests. I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work for. Others worked hard. You will share in their hard work. We are... We're doing the hard work right now. So, well, first of all, if you're harvesting in this season, if you happen to be harvesting right now, if you have, if people are actually praying the sinner's prayer, um, well, first of all, if people are saying the sinner's prayer, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're harvesting anything because people can kneel at an altar and pray a sinner's prayer all day long. That doesn't make them disciples. What makes you a disciple is if you actually follow Jesus. But if you're harvesting, Right now, if you have that privilege of being able to harvest, you need to recognize that you are harvesting somebody else's work. It might might be your own work. I mean, maybe you've poured into these people over the last year, two years, three years, ten years. There's also a good chance that other people have poured into those people. You just got to be the one who was blessed to harvest. But but what I'm thinking of is right now, we are the ones who are doing the hard work 
and probably when this is all said and done in 18 months or two years, someone else is going to harvest our work. We're doing the work. Someone else is going to harvest. But this is, here's the thing. And this is, I, th- I think, what frustrates me because for so long, the church in the West misses this verse. Because it says right here, so that, all of this harvesting, it says, so that those who sow and those who harvest will celebrate together. That those who do the hard work and those who harvest celebrate together. In other words, both are necessary. It is necessary for one person to sow and it is necessary for another person to harvest, and they might not be the same person. But we celebrate together. And maybe, maybe one of the things that's going to come out of this, maybe one of the signs that we keep missing is that we have forgotten we're in this together. We have forgotten that the person who sows is just as significant as the person who harvests. And that the person who harvests isn't always the person who sows. And the person who sows is not always the person who harvests. And some of us over these last couple months and in the months to come are going to work our butts off. We are going to pray like we have never prayed before. And we will not reap one harvest. We won't be able to be the ones. We won't be the ones harvesting. Someone else is going to come behind us and do it. And we have to be good with it. I have to be good with it. I think I saw that this week. And I'll just be honest, it made me sad. I want to know that all the effort that I'm putting in, that that I get to be there when it's harvested. But the reality is I might not be that person. For a variety of different reasons. What if what if financially my congregation just can't make it? And all the people that we have poured into that are scattered and end up in different places. And uh, five, six, seven other different pastors end up reaping that harvest. That makes me sad. I just I'm just gonna be honest with you. I mean, I hope that's not the case. I just realize that that is a possibility that I'm going to work really hard these next 6, 12, 18 months and I might not be the one who harvests and you might not be. Or, I should say, or at the end of 6, 12, 18 months, I might be harvesting somebody else's work. I might harvest what someone else sowed. Lord, help me not to be proud and arrogant and think that I did it. But that all of us will celebrate together. This is this is a time where we have to be dependent on God for everything. We have to have faith like potatoes, right? We have to we have to trust that everything that we're doing is going is not going to be in vain and that God will use it for his good and holy purposes even if there were better options out there. <laughs> so I guess this week I'm just kind of in this place where I, I realize this is something you can't prepare for. 
And if we think we can prepare for it, we're fooling ourselves. Nobody prepares for a pandemic. Nobody prepares for that. Oh, and I know some of you are like, well, I knew it was coming. Well, good God bless you. You're special. Nobody can prepare for something like this. The disciples weren't even prepared for Jesus being crucified. And he told them straight up a minimum of three times that we have recorded in the Gospels. And they were still shocked by it. So don't tell me you saw this coming. The disciples didn't see the cross coming. You and I didn't see this coming. But this is what we can do. We can wait on God. We can listen for his voice. And we can trust that at the end, those who sow and those who harvest will celebrate together. And I will leave you with these words from John's Gospel. Many Samaritans in that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's word when she testified. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two more days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is truly the Savior of the world. 